0: You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates, that's at DriveInPodcasts, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces, and let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim! So, Jim, this week we've got two movies, of course, as always, and this time around they are Saw from 2004 from James Wan and Leigh Whannell, as well as The Vast of Night from 2019 slash 2020. I'm a man of the people, so I'm going to go ahead and mark that down as 2020 because, (laughs) you know, that's when the people got a chance to see it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, you know, interestingly enough, I was looking it up uh, and it was filmed in 2016.
0: Okay, yeah, this this has the feel of, I don't know if this is true for most or even, like, it's definitely not true for all, but a lot of movies that are, like, Amazon originals seem to have been made a while ago and just couldn't find distributors for a while. Probably what the case is here. But anyways, let's start things up with Saw. Jim, had you seen this before? I I understand you had it on DVD, which came as a surprise to you.
1: Yeah, well, you know, because I'm not really a DVD collector, but uh, my family, I guess, as a whole is, are, whatever. And uh, I thought I was probably the only person in my family who had seen this movie because nobody else is, I guess, really into that Saw, gory, torture, porn stuff. But I walked over to my mom. I said, you know, we have Saw on DVD. She goes, oh, I love that movie. That's so great. I said, oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay.
0: This is the same woman that walked out on Halloween. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. too scary. I yeah. I'd like to point that out.
1: Yeah. But, uh, no, I've seen Saw before. Good movie.
0: Yeah, Saw is, um, to, to be fair to James Wan and Lee Whannell, and we will get into this because I think... What's really interesting about this movie, the movie itself is pretty interesting, but I also love all the backstory to it and everything, and how this was born out of a short film. And the idea of the, you know, expanding it to a movie was because they were working with a low budget. They tried to figure out how could they keep people in one room for as long as possible. And that's oh. like, okay, they'll be chained there, that kind of thing. But James Wan, who became after this, you know, a leading director in the horror genre and eventually into just blockbuster films in general. He directed Furious 7, which I think it's the best Fast and the Furious movie. I don't know I'll take if your that's word a for minority it. opinion or not, but I <laughs> I thought it was. And he directed Aquaman, which was, you know, was all right.
1: I really enjoyed Aquaman. But yeah,
0: Aqu- Aquaman, Aquaman is some fun schlock. I like it. <laughs> but he didn't really envision this movie as a horror movie. He kind of viewed it as it was going to be like one of those dark kind of serial killer thrillers that we had a lot of in the 90s think like the movie seven which this movie's been compared to a lot because the killer has semi comparable motives so he's kind of envisioning it as that but with a title like saw and the poster being what it is it's just well there's different versions of the poster but the one i'm most familiar with is it's just a severed foot sitting on the ground like yeah. Obviously this is going to be marketed as a horror movie. To be fair, it seems like they throw some things in the movie just because those feel like things that belong in a horror movie.
1: My question is, I'm not as familiar with the sequels and I was wondering Okay. do they kind of keep this serial killer thriller feel to it or do you think it gets more kind of Oh no, no. Torture the, the
0: sequels are the sequels are schlock. Gotcha, the sequels yeah. are schlock. I mean, I think I've seen the third and that's one, but I that's it, to say too is, is the torture porn label is thrown around a lot with this movie and or this series and then the Hostel movies also. I can't think of too many other American movies that get labeled as such, but anyway, Saw and Hostel being the two big ones. I think it's largely not justified with the original movie because the original Saw is not nearly as violent as you would think it is. Mm-hmm. It's a combination, really, just of the title and just the dark, gritty, disgusting look of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, it's I, I would compare it to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, which is a movie that again a very blunt, in-your-face title. It's not actually as violent or graphic as you would think it is. It's a much more subtle movie than that. The original Saw has subtlety to it. The sequels, not nearly as much. So they're they're a bit more over the top, a bit schlockier, a lot gorier to the point where it, they're kind of reveling a lot of them in, in the violence, in the gore. I don't think that's really the case here.
1: No, and I mean, and you said that it's compared to Seven a lot. And I hadn't watched Saw in a very long time. but Seven I just... and Cube. Oh, okay.
0: Have you seen Cube? It's a Canadian movie
1: no i but I've heard of it though well okay. I mean, I've, I've really only heard of it in the in the sense that it's compared to saw, I guess, but yeah, that was, that was that was the for case the for part. me
0: too. I never would have heard of it were it not for saw and then I went and saw it, and it's like, okay, it was pretty good
1: yeah, well that's I mean I'll, I guess I'll have to is, is that on our list?
0: I think so, but I'm not certain. So the movie opens with a character named Adam waking up in a bathtub. Some thing with like a little bit of a light on it goes into the drain and disappears. We don't know what that is, but I'm mentioning mentioning it here obviously because it's important. So Adam wakes up, crawls out of the bathtub, and realizes that he's chained up in a, well he doesn't know it's a bathroom yet, but he's just in this pitch black room. There's someone else in the room. And he says, like, you know, I've tried yelling, it's no good, we're stuck here, there's no one else here. But they eventually are able to turn on the lights, and he sees that it's just this disgusting, disgusting bathroom. I mean, Mm -hmm. the art direction in this movie, is is truly one of the uh, highlights. I mean, this room is disgusting, and you and you you feel for the characters just seeing them in this environment.
1: It's a place that you don't even want to walk into, even if you're wearing like shoes. You know what I mean? Like, it's a place that is so disgusting. Oh, hazmat! You, so you feel need a
0: hazmat suit just to wander in here. Yeah, M-
1: maybe two. I uh, it's disgusting.
0: But, yeah, anyways, the two characters here are Adam, and then we've got Dr. Lawrence Gordon. He's played by Carrie Elwes of The Princess Bride fame. And uh, <laughs> Adam is played by the screenwriter, Lee Winnell, who, I'm sorry, Lee, I think you're a great screenwriter and you've directed some really good movies over the past few years, like The Invisible Man and Upgrade, but he's not a good actor. <laughs> He really isn't
1: i thought he was better than um dr larry over there
0: well i don't i don't think carrie Elwes is is fantastic uh but like i don't know i something about lee i mean he's not technically doing a bad american accent or anything because he is of course australian but i i feel like i feel like his concentration as an actor went a hundred percent towards the accent and not towards actually delivering lines in a believable way
1: yeah i can understand but that's that too. just yeah. my
0: observation anyways in addition to these two characters, there is a dead body with a bullet hole in its head in the middle of the room. There's like a pool of blood. So yeah, this is a pretty, in addition to the shit smeared all over the walls, this is just <laughs> a pretty nasty room in general.
1: Dirty and gruesome.
0: So the two characters are trying to figure out what's going on. They talk a bit. They both find tapes in their pockets. Tapes as in like recorded tapes, which I don't remember them being that small. This is the digital age, baby. <laughs> saw stuck in the past of it in in a fun way but anyways and and neither of them of course have a playback device what would you call those cassette player okay yeah whatever anyways but they do notice that the dead body has one so adam is able to use some wire and chain in his uh, like from the bathtub to pull that in and he listens to his tape the tape it's it's a person speaking with a deep voice who we don't know it yet but this is jigsaw speaking He calls Adam a a voyeur. He calls him pathetic. And again, we don't really know anything about Adam yet, so we don't understand what this is about. But it just kind of like taunts him a bit. It's like, yeah, you might be in the room that you'll die in. And then they listen to Dr. Gordon's tape as well. And this tape is a lot more specific. It tells Dr. Gordon that he has until six to kill Adam or his family will be killed, his family being his wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. It does mention also that there's something about there being a lot of poison in the blood, referring to the dead body in the middle of the room. But there's another line that kind of gives more on this. Because when he hears this, Dr. Gordon isn't necessarily thinking, okay, I need to kill Adam. Let me poison him with the blood. He's not thinking this yet. He gets another clue that gives him this idea later. Mm -hmm. The note also mentions that X marks the spot. And there's a hidden message at the very end of the tape that you have to, like, listen to very, very carefully that says, to follow your heart, which points the two of them to a heart made out of, you know, a heart drawn out of poop on a toilet. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And again, the most
1: disgusting toilet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so Adam does something stupid and he fishes through the bowl first before trying the tank, which... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know and of course in the in the tank and he even has a joke a line saying oh yeah, i should have done this earlier but yeah he so he goes through the tank and he finds like a garbage bag and there's a few things in the garbage bag including something that we don't see yet because adam makes a point to hide it mm-hmm. so immediately we're kind of thinking like okay these characters aren't quite what they seem but the bag does contain two saws and the two of them both start using the saws on their chains, which are around their ankle. And, of course, they don't work. Adam gets frustrated and just throws his saw and breaks part of the mirror. Dr. Gordon's the one that realizes we're not supposed to cut through the chains. We're supposed to cut through our feet.
1: Just, just like you know. Dr. Phil.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was that scary movie before.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and I, I just remember Shaq had to make a free throw like that's a i don't remember liking <laughs> yeah. that movie much but they, there was some good stuff with Shaq, anyways i
1: remember after he cuts off the wrong foot he goes doc you cut off the wrong foot and dr phil looks down he's like no <laughs> and then he just pans back
0: <laughs> uh after dr gordon figures out that okay we're supposed to cut through our Our feet he then is like hang on I think I know who did this which this is kind of just a problem with the structure of this story when you're with these two characters in this spot but you want to show some of the outside world through flashback or whatever you're not always going to have a clean way to get to there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like we have a couple scenes here where we get exposition through flashback they come kind of at random points where dr gordon's like oh wait i remember this and it's like what what shouldn't this have been on your mind already when you found yourself <laughs> chained <laughs> up in a locked bathroom i i don't know I, I feel like this would have been at the forefront of my mind but anyways so dr gordon's flashback starts not with dr gordon it starts with a couple of cops including detective tap played by danny glover mm-hmm. a man who i think we can all agree is getting far too old for this shit And there's uh, Detective (laughs) Singh. There's there's Detective Singh, and there's Detective Allison Carey, who's played by Mm -hmm. Dina Meyer. She's barely in this movie. She pops up in in a couple of the sequels. That that's a big thing with this series is people show up for like a scene or for a couple lines. Then in the next movie, they're like a super important character, which is one of the things I like about the series. It makes it feel like this was all thought out, even though it absolutely wasn't. (laughs) James Wan and Lee (laughs) Whannell even even said, it's like, no, we never wanted a sequel. But anyways, so they are investigating some like underground place. Everything kind of always all looks the same. It's lots of greens and grays and everything looks really industrial and gross. But anyways, there's this like field of razor wire and there's this character who is dead in there and then they find a tape and it comes from the same voice we had already heard and it says something like, hey, you cut yourself a few weeks ago. Now, if you want to live, you will have to cut yourself a lot to climb out of here. And so it's like, how badly do you really want to live? And then we get some really fast editing showing us his struggle to climb through all the wires. He doesn't make it before the door shuts and then he dies. And the cops find that there is a piece of his flesh cut out in the shape of a jigsaw piece, hence the name jigsaw. So this flashback goes on for quite a long time because we also see another victim get killed and this is like some guy, I don't remember what he did, but he's stuck in a room that has numbers drawn all over every single wall and he has to to find the combination to a safe in order to save himself, but he's also covered in like oil or something and he's Mm -hmm. only got a candle to light him and he's stepping on broken glass everywhere. Really convoluted, but I mean, surprise, he didn't make it. (laughs)
1: There's a line in this flashback bit where they're like, maybe it was Doctor Gordon. I don't remember if it was him that had said this line or one of the cops in this weird flashback situation. But they had said that Jigsaw technically doesn't actually kill his victims, and I'm like, well, yeah, it is Gordon that (laughs) you could technically say he does actually says
0: that. Yeah, that's that's a thing that that keeps going throughout the series. It gets really annoying after a while. I don't think it's too annoying in this movie. But the whole thing with Jigsaw is he's the serial killer that doesn't kill anyone. And I am putting quotes around all of that because allegedly he, uh, he a hundred (laughs) percent kills people. It's, it's weird to hear. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing if like he convinces himself that he hasn't killed anyone, but other characters are also noting that. And that's just annoying. We see later, it's actually (laughs) in this flashback where someone is in a trap where either she will die or she will have to dig through someone's innards in order to get a key to live and that person is alive so guaranteed at least one person gets killed no matter the outcome i mean that's that's murder (laughs) but yeah that's that's the thing that's jigsaw's thing he's got he's got a very frustrating philosophy a hypocritical philosophy but we don't even know who he is yet so so we're learning all this but anyways at this second crime scene the one with the safe combination they find a pen light belong they being the cops find a pen light that belongs to dr gordon they go to seek out lawrence gordon who's at the hospital doing his thing he's talking about some particular patient who's got a uh, an inoperable brain tumor and then some weird guy named zep who wheels in and is like no oh, actually the patient's name is john and you're thinking <laughs> like what is this And the only reason I'm mentioning (laughs) it is because it's important later. Because this does not necessarily seem like it's important right now, but it is. Anyways, so Dr. Gordon gets called in. Detectives tap and sing to take him into the police station. He talks to his lawyer. He does have an alibi. And his alibi seems to be that he was having an affair, although they don't get too far into that. And then after he is exonerated, they just kind of let him sit in on another victim's like testimony or whatever Uh, testimony is probably not the right word but her as she shares her story because this is the only person so far to survive a jigsaw trap a jigsaw test a jigsaw game whatever you want to call it and it's this drug addict named amanda played by Shawnee smith of the 1988 blob remake which is pretty good i like her in that too i like her in this i think she's probably my favorite actor in this movie she's only got like this one scene she shares her story and we see it in another flashback so a flashback within a flashback and she's she's locked in a chair she's got this thing on her head they refer to it as a reverse bear trap and a video starts up where she sees this creepy puppet explaining what's going on with her and it says something like you have a minute to get the lock which is in your friend's stomach in order to free yourself she gets up from the chair and the timer starts and there's really fast paced quick editing it kind of looks like a like a i feel like there were a lot of music videos around that time that kind of had that look to it that's exactly Uh, what i was gonna say yeah anyways i think it's really effective in this scene i like it a lot i like Mm -hmm. it more than i did with the razor wire stuff But anyways, she picks up a scalpel and is ready to dig into her friend's stomach when she notices that he's alive, in which the puppet in the video said that he was not alive. But she goes for it. She carves through him. Uh, This is probably the goriest scene in the movie, even though it's not nearly as gory as it could be. It's not nearly as gory as it would be if this were in Mm -hmm. a sequel. And she gets her key, and she takes off the bear trapper right before it goes off. And so that's her thing. She's safe. And then the puppet wheels himself over on a tricycle and says, like, congratulations, you're alive. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive, not you. And as she's back in the police station talking to Detective Tap, she agrees with the puppet. She's like, I mean, he helped me. Like, I was a junkie. I was was going nowhere with my life. This, this puppet taught me the meaning of life, that kind of thing.
1: <laughs> and it's to kill other people. Which is people. a little
0: weird. It's a little we- Well, no, not yet. Don't spoil the sequels. <laughs> I don't even know if you knew that was spoiling a sequel. No, no. You, just no. you, ru- you ruined <laughs> Saw 2 Take and that, Saw three audience. for everyone listening. Tap has to let Dr. Gordon go, but as we see later, he never actually believes that Gordon isn't behind it even though he had an alibi he still believes that he has something to do with it so anyways we're back in real time at the bathroom when adam figures out that the little piece of mirror that broke off was actually like a two-way mirror and so they break the rest of the mirror and see that there's a video camera looking at them and they wave to it yell at it like flip it off And then we see at the other end, there's a, well, not the other end, but on a computer somewhere is some guy who goes, I can see you. And we see just like a tiny bit of his face, I think. We still don't don't get our our full reveal yet. We then get another flashback in this, or I'll call it, yeah, this this is a flashback. It's confusing because the flashbacks don't always announce themselves. And then eventually you're at a point where you think this is a flashback, and then it kind of turns out to be presence. The movie's a little—it's—it's it's a messy movie. I think i do don't—I don't even think it's a little messy. It is just yeah, a messy or, movie. Or,
1: or even you're confused if the flashback is not even really a flashback. It's just happening at the same time as, as this is happening. Well, yeah,
0: but I mean, you know, I mean, you know, this this next one's definitely a flashback because it's Doctor Gordon outside the bathroom. Yes, yeah. I mean, just in general, the flashbacks go on for so long. Some of them, they cover the same ground sometimes and they have flashbacks within them. So these, this movie is, it's a messy movie. It does kind of come across as a filmmaker's first movie. Less, I'm putting this less on Juan and I'm putting this more on Winnell, who's the though both of them are credited for the story Winnell is the sole screenwriter in the sense that screenplay by and i'm gonna say it's a bit of a messy script even though i do like the script just for its creativity but yeah anyways this next flashback dr gordon's at home his daughter claims there there's a guy in her bedroom so she gets her dad to tuck her in and her dad of course is you know, a business, well, he's not, a, I mean, he's a medical doctor, but but they're very much doing that. Like, oh, he doesn't pay enough attention to his family. He cares too much about his work thing mm-hmm. that you do, that you see with a lot of movie dads. I feel like it doesn't work here because he's his job is saving people's lives. Yeah. Although technically, not, I guess, you know, technically because he says he's being called into work, but we will learn later he's not actually being called into work. I think this is the call he gets from his graduate student that Pretty woman. Yeah, I think But I'm not sure. Right. Again, because the flashbacks you're not sure what is when sometime. But anyways, yeah, it's gotta it's gotta be that. But anyways, he has to go because he gets paged into work. Yes, there is a pager. <laughs> we have <we've> got <laughs> uh cassette players and we've got pagers in this movie. This is two thousand four and at this point in the bathroom again end flashback adam is taking an interest and asks uh, dr gordon about his family and he tosses him his wallet to show the pictures but adam finds a photo of his daughter tied up with a gun pointed at her head and he decides not to show dr gordon this for reasons unknown at this point i mean you know maybe he's just trying to not distress him i suppose and on the back of this photo, there's a note saying something like, sometimes you see more with your eyes shut. They don't do anything with that information just yet. We still have more flashbacks. So in this flashback after Dr. Gordon leaves, like immediately after, his daughter is abducted, as is his wife, by a creepy guy hiding in the closet. he's He's got like a stethoscope on him and a gun. So possible clue? Stethoscope? Hospital? Maybe? Mm-hmm. But then then we actually do see who it is, but I would imagine most people watching this for the first time wouldn't know who it is because it's just Zep. It's the orderly from the hospital who had like one line earlier and was like, is like barely in the movie. So, I mean, this is, this is like a, you can reveal who this guy is and you still have to kind of remind us who it is (laughs) because up to this (laughs) point, he has not been a person of interest really in any way. And then uh, we see someone else is watching Dr. Gordon's apartment from like a hotel, like across the street. And this is, I don't know if this is revealed here right now. I think it is. No, maybe it's later. But this, it turns out this is Detective Tap or rather former Detective Tap because sometime and we'll see, we'll see why later. But through these flashbacks, he kind of went crazy and left the force. In part because he's obsessed with Dr. Gordon because he's renting a hotel room to spy on him and he sees that Zep dude and it's just like, okay, he doesn't really know what to make with that, what to make <laughs> of that information right now. And, and I mean, to be fair, we aren't either.
1: Also, what kind of a name is Zepp?
0: Yeah, that's fair. Well, they do. Um, no, I was going to say they do say that's a nickname. They don't technically confirm it's a nickname, but there is the there, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a line saying it's like, "Oh, you know, people call you Zep," and so it's like, oh, "Is that short okay. for something?" Zephyriah, maybe? Zephyr. <laughs> I don't well, know. I kept I on,
1: t- I kept on typing Zep into my phone, and it kept on autocorrecting to Zepulon. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> Z- okay, Zepulon Hindle. Here we go. <laughs> And then we get like, an I think it's like another flashback, but Tap is watching the video, the video from Amanda's reverse bear trap thing over and over again. He hears a distant fire alarm sound and then he also recognizes gang graffiti on the wall and mm-hmm. his partner Detective Singh is like, oh, that gang only had like a four block radius of their territory or whatever. So they're able to narrow it down where the video was shot. They have a line like, oh, is that enough for a warrant? And it's like, "Ah, we don't need a warrant. Let's just go. Which, to be fair, they probably, yeah, they might not need a warrant. But at this point, they might have just probable cause. But they can at least get backup, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they could Everything goes to shit here. Everything goes to (laughs) shit here because they don't talk to anyone. They just go there. And they do some, I don't want to say they do anything. They do something kind of dumb, but it's not the reason why things go to shit. But anyways.
1: It's also interesting that you brought that up because they're like, hey, Instead of getting back up, let's go try to take this guy down who's apparently really really smart and puts people in traps. They have to get out of, you know, like like you're right. Come on, man.
0: I mean, yes, but I still like the way the scene plays out. How they're going there is incredibly dumb. I still think they don't actually do anything that Well, they do do something dumb but it is not ultimately the reason Jigsaw gets away. Jigsaw legitimately just outplays them, and we'll get to that yes, scene yeah. here in a second because they show up at Jigsaw's lair. They find a little model diorama of the bathroom thing, which, of course, means nothing to them. It's just neat for us. And then they they find a guy in some kind of trap. He's gagged and he can't talk, and they like uncover, remove the sheet from him, and they're trying to figure out how to get him out of there when they hear someone coming up on the elevator. And then Tap decides to cover the guy and hide. And this, this is the dumb thing that I'm talking about because I feel like, why? Go to the elevator and arrest the dude, like, right now. Like, what, what, yeah. do, we need to, what do we need to hide and see what he's going to do first? And then, anyways, so this figure, this jigsaw figure who, whose face we do not see, he's just in a black robe with a little bit of red. All right? It's, it's a neat look. It's kind of like a satanic look which has nothing to do with the character because the character not this like weird cult satanist leader or anything like that but that's <laughs> what it kind of looks like anyways as tap and sing pull their guns on him he starts the trap which is like these screws or nails or- or coming from the sides and going towards the guy's neck very slowly but there's one key to stop it but the key is on a chain with like 45 keys so detective sing is going to try is is trying to stop that while tap is taking jigsaw and arresting him Singh can't figure out which key it is so eventually just shoots the machine and then breaks it and yeah but then as he does that tap takes his eyes off of jigsaw for just one second jigsaw pulls like one of those hidden blade things out from his sleeve and just slashes his throat and then just is on the run So Jigsaw runs down some stairs. He's chased by Detective Singh. And Detective Singh in this like hallway is actually able to shoot him and down him. But as he steps towards him, he steps in a like a shotgun tripwire thing which has, I think it's, it's like totally three brutal. shotguns are tied to it. Yeah. And so he gets his head blown off. This is a pretty tastefully shot scene where we don't see the mangledness or anything. We just kind of see his torso with like blood coming down and then he falls to the ground. Like, it. Anyways, uh, Tap, who's still alive even though he got his throat slashed and not didn't get the jugular vein, I guess, he wanders on down and sees what happens. And at this point, Jigsaw has gotten up and left. So I think we're caught up, at least for now, on flashbacks. It'll be a good 90 seconds before we get another one. (laughs) With the information on the back of the photo that said sometimes you see more with your eyes closed or something, Adam convinces Dr. Gordon to turn the lights off, and they find a glow-in-the-dark X and they figure like, okay, this must have always been here, but it was glow-in-the-dark paint, and the paint had to dry or something. Like, I don't know anything about glow-in-the-dark paint. Maybe that's a thing. It was. It was the paint but, had
1: to soak up the light.
0: Okay, so the glow-in-the-dark paint doesn't work if you apply it in darkness. You need the light on at least for a certain amount of time. Yeah, because it like dark, charges up the,
1: the the phosphorescence or whatever of it, and, oh, and they can I see it after so a while. Much. <laughs>
0: But anyways, there's your science lesson Dr. for the Gordon, day. All right, so in the little tile where the X was, he pulls out a box and in this box are two cigarettes, a cell phone, you know, a good old-fashioned flip phone, and a note <laughs> which hints at the blood once again being poison. Adam of course is very happy to see the phone and also to see the cigarettes in this case, but the phone they try it of course it doesn't work. It's only meant to receive calls. Which, I don't know what that means.
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know how that's possible, but but I'll, I'll allow it.
0: Yeah, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's fine. Gordon realizes that the note is trying to get him to put some of the poison blood on the cigarette and give it to Adam. So with the box now open, Dr. Gordon asks Adam how he knew to shut the lights off, and this is when Adam reveals the photo, and he says, like, I didn't want to show it to you earlier. Like, you would have freaked out, and of course, Dr. Gordon's like, sure. But then he starts questioning Adam, like, are you hiding things from me? Who are you? And, I mean, fair. And then they have a plan. We don't see them develop the plan. We don't hear them develop the plan, because they do it with the lights off, and and they, and they whisper so that whoever's watching... And listening to them on the monitor cannot hear or see what they're doing. But the plan is basically Dr. Gordon poisons the cigarette but gives Adam the unpoisoned cigarette. And Adam smokes the unpoisoned cigarette, which he does after the light's back on, and pretends to be poison. And he, <laughs> he falls down. It's very obviously fake poison acting. <laughs> and yeah, as a result, whoever's watching them shocks him, you know, knowing it's fake. Dr. Gordon's pissed because he he doesn't hear the shock, I guess, so he thinks that he just sabotaged the plan, but really, no. He just got electrocuted, man. (laughs) But this shocking, this influx of electricity has apparently gotten Adam's memory going, and he's able to remember things. Again, back to the They kind of wrote themselves into a hole here with having the story all take place in the one location, but also having a lot of stuff that's necessary to understand the story happening outside. You know what I mean? So I guess, you know, to get to that flashback and to not have all the flashbacks at once, I guess we'll just shock someone and they'll remember things. Why not? Adam is actually a photographer, and he is being paid to take photos of dr gordon he assumes he's being paid to photograph dr gordon while he's having an affair but in actuality he's being paid by detective tap who wants to find jigsaw evidence against him you know which is just putting the civilian in harm's way why not (laughs) we see in a couple of we actually see the same like scene in flashback a couple different times dr gordon's over at this parking garage he gets out there's a flash of a photograph and then a person in a pig mask crawls, I believe, out of his car and attacks him. And that's who that's when he's abducted. And I believe could be wrong, but I believe this is when his family is abducted. It's or not really abducted so much as held captive because they, they're still yeah. in the same room. My question is, but though, how did
1: Adam it- not see this pig thing?
0: That's a fair question. Yeah, there's a lot of things with this story that, like, if you ask some questions, it's like, okay, this doesn't really hold up. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or if we had to come up with an answer to that question, it's Adam takes the photo, probably didn't realize the flash was on. Dr. Gordon does react like he noticed something. Like, he, he's just, like, wiping his face, and then he, like, pulls his hand down when the picture is taken. So he either sees mm-hmm. or hears something, and, and at that point, Adam is probably just, like, getting the hell out of there. Right? But, I mean, it, it doesn't oh, yeah, really matter. Yeah. Anyways, this, this is the night that he tucks his daughter in and then is paged into work. In actuality, he wasn't paged into work. He was he has a graduate student, this beautiful Asian woman who wants to have an affair with him, and he was actually going there to say no. And the reason why I say I think it's then because I think it's got to be, right? It's got to be that night. But he's abducted. He's 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 down for the count. And we see more with Adam just hanging around his place after he's he's developing his photos and then he hears something inside his place
1: this is my favorite scene
0: it's this and the reverse bear trap i i feel like yes are the real show stealers both of them but yeah anyways this this scene's really really tense this is great stuff he hears something so he goes wandering around his pitch black apartment he's using the flash from his camera to kind of see his way around so it's a really well-crafted well shot scene and he eventually he finds the puppet in his room, which freaks him out. He beats the puppet down with, with a baseball bat. And then he's looking in his... Uh, and it's when he's looking in his closet that he takes a photo. Just for a brief second, you can see the person with the pig mask, and then he's attacked. It is really a fantastic scene. I don't think we gave it justice right there in my description, but...
1: You definitely have to watch it, because it is... That might be one of the only scenes in this movie that is that is genuinely horrifying. Like, it, it's just so tense and, and, and scary to...
0: It's a scene that I always forget about because it doesn't involve a trap in any way. It does. It, it's so far removed from what I associate this series and this film in particular with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I always forget Adam doesn't spend 100% of the movie in the bathroom. <laughs> Back in the bathroom. So the phone that Dr. Gordon now has gets called and he answers it and it's his wife. And his wife is telling him or is asking if Adam is there with him. And then she says, don't believe his lies. He knows who you are. And that's when he kind of grills Adam. Adam is forthcoming about what he was doing, but also not really. And then Gordon is able to piece together Detective Tapp was the one paying you. But yeah. then Adam goes through his photographs, which which is what was he was hiding in that garbage bag earlier. And they find that one of the photographs is not one that he took. It's actually of Zep hanging out in dr gordon's bedroom yeah and dr gordon this is this is how they it, dr gordon figures out okay Zep is the guy who's got my family when he gets another phone call he starts threatening Zep before he realizes that it's actually his wife that he's speaking to and we're at six o'clock here now so Zepp is ready to kill the wife and child but Gordon's wife frees herself from her bonds and is able to fight back. There are gunshots, which alerts former Detective Tap as he goes, goes and tries to help or tries to just figure out what the hell is going on because he still really doesn't know. So Gordon's wife and kids are able to get away, but he's listening to them on the phone while this happens. So it sounds like his wife was fighting for her life and got shot, right? Yeah. So he's starting to freak out and he starts sawing off his foot. Because, you know, it's a movie (laughs) called Saw and we all saw the poster. We were going to get here uh, eventually, you know. And then he goes and gets, takes his bullet, grabs the gun from the guy, and he shoots Adam after he's able to cut off his foot. And again, the, the cutting off the foot, we get a shot or two of the cutting where there's a lot of blood and stuff, but it's mostly shown through close-ups of Dr. Gordon's face. And then also a lot of shots over to Adam and his reaction, his screaming slash crying reaction to it.
1: Yeah, you know it's um, it's funny that a movie called Saw isn't as gory as a movie called Audition. Uh, well, when it I comes mean, to foot cutting, you know,
0: I mean, Audition is something else, though. So, so, perhaps if you knew the actual official title was Audition and it was a Japanese word, then maybe you could piece things together because <laughs> Japan be crazy, man. <laughs> and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong in Japanese, but whatever. So Gordon shoots Adam and Zep having lost the family, races to come back to wherever this bathroom is, and he's pursued by Detective Tapp in the I'm tempted to say the worst car chase I've ever seen, but I'm gonna say the second worst because I've seen Mitchell. And (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? This car chase it's just like Again, this is a hundred percent a budget thing, but it looks so bad, and it's thankfully it's it's about like seven seconds long, probably. But it's just like awkward shots where they kind of speed it up. Of, but it's just of the drivers. It's just like it's, but it's very clearly yeah. they had nothing to work with. So Zap is going through some kind of industrial warehouse thing. He's following some path, and Tap is able to catch up to him. But then Tap gets shot in the stomach, and he's gone, presumably. He doesn't show up in any of the sequels, so we'll count him out.
1: No, Danny Glover, no.
0: And then, so Zep breaks into the bathroom, is about to kill Dr. Gordon, who's trying to shoot him, of course, but he's, he only had one bullet. And Zep says something like, this is, the, this is the rules or whatever, I have to kill you now. But as he's about to kill him, Adam pulls him down, because Adam, though he's shot in the torso, is still alive, and he beats him to death with the toilet tank lid in a fantastic moment. This is really some yeah, great, great stuff here. This is the best acting from Lee Whannell. He, <laughs> you 100%, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, I say that, like, not even jokingly. You 100% believe he is beating someone to death with, with, that, oh, yeah. with yeah. that lid. It's great. So with Zepp dead, Dr. Gordon awkwardly crawls away. <laughs> he crawls his way out of the room, <laughs> and he says, like, uh, he, like, he's lost so much blood. Like, you, you don't get the sense that he's going to live much longer. And he says, like, no, he's well, not gonna make I'll it. come back. I have to... <laughs> I have to go get help. And he just like, not even waddles. He just like, (laughs) he just kind of slithers away. And then um, (laughs) slithers away. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then Adam fishes through Zep's clothing, looking for a key, but he doesn't find a key. He does instead find Mm -hmm. another tape and he listens to it. And it starts with, you know, hello, Mr. Hindle, or as the people at the hospital call you Zep. So again, that's our indication of Zep perhaps being a nickname. But anyways, this is Jigsaw. As Zep is not the Jigsaw killer, Zep was yet another person in this Jigsaw game. And I can't remember, did they explain why he was targeting Zep?
1: No, I don't think so, no.
0: Yeah, I don't think they really explained that. But at any rate, Zep had to do this thing. He had to do something to... Oh, I know they did say that he was poisoned in in order to... In order to get the antidote, he had to kill either Dr. Gordon or Dr. Gordon's family. But Jigsaw doesn't specify why he poisoned him. You know, because Mm -hmm. Jigsaw doesn't kill anybody, of course. And as Adam's listening to this, he's like, mind is blown. And then his mind is doubly blown as the dead body from the middle of the floor gets up, rips off the little makeup prosthetic that had the hole blown through the head, and says that you had the key all along. It was in the bathtub. So that was that thing with the light on that went into the drain. And then this guy, this jigsaw, shocks him, shocks Adam again, and then takes off. And as he's closing the door, of course, he says, game over. I suppose I really ought to backtrack a bit because this ending is amazing and I'm sure I haven't done it justice. But when Adam starts listening to the tape, the Charlie Clouser music uh, track called Hello, Zap" starts kicking in, which I love. It's become the Saw theme song. There's a different variation on it, I believe, in each of the movies. It's great. We get this montage of all these things with Zep, his lines of dialogue, his it's the rules, which are now being recontextualized because we have more information. So that's all great. And then as the person gets up, this is, of course, a person we've seen before. This is John was his name, the guy in the hospital with the inoperable brain tumor. We get that information in the montage as well. And John Jigsaw is of course played by Tobin Bell, who the only thing that he did prior to Saw that I'm familiar with is he's like the albino guy in The Firm who chases after Tom Cruise in a couple of scenes or something. That's it. You don't see it here because he doesn't have that much do in the movie but you'll see it in the sequels eventually they nailed the casting tobin bell is perfect in this role and he gives a flat out iconic line delivery of it at the end with his game over stuff it's just great so he says game over which is like one of the best final lines in a horror movie slash honestly in a movie ever like it's such a great moment i like that as he shuts the door adam's of course screaming and this is like a blood-curdling scream I like that through the first I don't know how long of the credits he's still screaming. Like it doesn't just end there. I like that the yeah, screaming yeah. still carries on. But anyways, this is the end of Saw. This came out when I was like 11 or 12. So I was too young to see this, but I was I knew like about this ending and everything when I was pretty young, years before I ever saw these movies, and I really wish I didn't. I think this ending would have blown my mind. You know, can you imagine being in the theater opening night for this?
1: I'm actually lucky in the sense, Patrick, that I forgot about that twist. (laughs) So you did know, but you just forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm an idiot, you know. So I'm (laughs) watching it, and I'm like... I'm like, oh, I was like, oh, I was like, it's over. I was like, isn't there? I was like, well, where's Jigsaw? Isn't there something to do with Jigsaw? And I was like, oh, fuck. And he's standing up. I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. I forgot. Oh, this is so cool. I was like, what a great twist. I forgot about this. So I was flipping out for like 15 minutes after the movie ended.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a true, um, it's a one-two punch because it's two twists. It's first one is that Zap who we spent the last, you know, about 45 minutes being convinced is the guy that is putting them up to this is not actually the mastermind. And then the second one is this, this dude who was dead the entire time is actually alive. I guess technically there's a third twist saying that Adam had the key at the very beginning of the movie, but that twist doesn't really work for me. So so, so no, I, I'll yeah. just recognize the two parts that do work. The sequels do retcon the whole key thing and explain why. Because, like, in theory, Jigsaw wants to have this these games that are fair for everyone that you get a second chance you always have the ability to survive one of his games one of his traps right but mm. adam you can see in this movie really didn't i mean yeah. his, his only way of survival i guess would have been to saw off his foot which you know maybe it's possible but we'll see how dr gordon's doing you know <laughs> like as for like it, it does not seem possible that he could have gotten the key that he had at the beginning of the movie and the sequels kind of explain that in a way So we'll have to get those at some point. But anyways, uh, what are your thoughts on Saw?
1: I forgot how much I enjoyed it. And I was asking myself the whole time while I was watching it, how come I hadn't been watching it for like the last 10 years or so. I thought it was a really neat horror thriller thing. And I agree with you, it's not really torture porn, but I think a lot of people think of it as torture porn.
0: Well, there Um, is torture in it, but but you wouldn't call something like audition torture porn, even though there's torture in that. no, exactly. And the difference yeah. is when I hear torture porn, and first of all, that's just a phrase that I don't like because it just sounds disgusting. But, <laughs> but I think what it really means is that the torture porn label—I think it's not just that there's torture; it's that the movie's concentrating on the torture, and we're kind of reveling it and yeah. reveling in it, and almost kind of rooting for people to screw up and to die. And we are not doing that in this movie. We're rooting for these two characters at least I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's not the case in Hostel because I want every single character in that movie dead, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I I really enjoyed Saw. Um, Again, I forgot how much I had enjoyed it. I think the first time I saw this was with a very good friend of mine uh, at his house. I must have been maybe 12, so it had already been out for about two years at that point. Yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. But do you feel, though, Patrick, like watching it again, after you know so much about where the series has gone that it is kind of schlocky or that it has been done so much like stuff like that like stuff like saw has been done so much in society as part of like pop culture that it just feels
0: kind of schlocky or silly at points well no i mean like halloween's been done a thousand times and i still enjoy that movie you know not only a thousand times within its own series but halloween's probably the most (laughs) ripped off movie of all time you know I still enjoy this movie. I think it, it's not 100% effective by any means. It misses its mark, you know, in, in a few ways, most of which we've named, you know, so kind of the, the sloppiness, a little bit of the writing. I, I think it's a movie that gets by on the strength of its premise, mostly. I think the yeah. whole two people are trapped in a room and have to figure a way to get out. It took a while, but Saw Saw is the reason escape rooms are like a big thing now, right? That's I what I was like going to say, like yeah. Saw is 100%... Part of the research or not resurgence, but of the increase in popularity, even though it took a few years, it's kind of like you get all these found footage movies 12 years after Blair Witch comes out. But Blair Witch was really kind of the trendsetter there, if you will. I don't know. I think um, there is something just fascinating about this premise. It's an entertaining movie. It's a messy movie. It's a sloppy movie in a lot of ways. But I think most of its issues can be blamed on its low budget. You know, this is a really low budget movie and it shows in a lot of ways, but also the strength of the talent in the, in the filmmaking also is able to show.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I agree with you that I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, Speaking of budget though, what was it? 1.2 million dollars. That was his budget, but it, yeah, uh, I would
0: actually predict it to be smaller than that, to be honest, but that's what I have seen on Wikipedia. I don't know.
1: What's amazing to me though is that not only was it shot its budget was relatively small and it was only shot in 18 days apparently but it made more than 100 million worldwide and then it says here on Wikipedia becoming at the time one of the most profitable horror films since 96's Scream.
0: Yeah, well I would I would I think even Blair Witch Project in between Scream and this was probably uh, because that, that movie yeah. was made for about $10 probably but but yeah no this is I mean I've always said like James Wan made this tiny movie into a nearly billion dollar franchise like yeah he didn't really like the sequels that's true but it's like he, he, he made that out of this movie it's like I feel like this dude can do anything he can make me like the Fast and the Furious movies he pulled that off he made me like a DC movie <laughs> you know although <laughs> (laughs) he didn't do Shazam you know Shazam is is a masterpiece but uh yeah I'll agree with that I believe in James Wan (laughs) I think he's a very talented filmmaker and honestly I think Lee Whannell who's who's only directed three movies now he doesn't he doesn't direct this he might have had some kind of because he and James Wan are just good buddies he probably had some kind of input on the directorial process but he uh has directed three movies he directed the third Insidious movie which was my favorite okay. Insidious movie. Granted, I'm not a big fan of those movies, but I thought that movie was pretty good. Juan directed seen the first, the first yeah. two. And then okay, he also yeah. directed Upgrade, which came out a few years ago, which was excellent. And he directed The Invisible Man from 2020, oh, okay. which I thought was incredible. So I think James Wan er, it, it might not even be as good a director as Lee Winnell. But they're both good, so you know can't go wrong with either of them. They're talented people.
1: Well, I guess when they get together, they create a pop culture phenomenon that'll last for twenty odd years. You know,
0: like Dead Silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I, I, I'm I'm hoping we get to Dead Silence soon. I would be very curious to revisit <laughs> that movie because I don't have the fondest memories of it. But n- neither does uh. James Wan, <laughs> I believe. <laughs>
1: Okay, so Patrick, the next movie we watched for this episode is *The Vast of Night*. As you brought up in the beginning, you had it twenty nineteen, stroke twenty twenty. I think oh, yeah, uh, this before is recording. I
0: mean, I mean, if you're not one of those people that either religiously or occupationally attends film festivals, this is a twenty twenty movie.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I find, it came out I find, on Amazon I find that Prime. So
0: annoying in, in certain movies. Like, I know It Follows is one of those. It's 2014 slash 15. Like, it wasn't really released until 15. So I'll always write 15 for that one.
1: I'm trying to think. I think I saw this when it came out on Amazon Prime, and that was May
0: 26th. Oh, May. It was that. It was. I thought it was earlier than that. Okay. I saw this probably in like August or something like that. September maybe.
1: Yeah, because I remember the night it came out, I was in my kitchen in England, and I was like, "Oh, this is a great movie." And I sat down and made some popcorn. But uh, it's, a, it's a first-time director, Andrew Patterson, and uh, he also
0: uh, wrote it, or at least co-wrote it. it Sounding a lot I, like Saw so far.
1: Yeah. Now, this guy, he's a he's first-time director of film. I think before this, he was making commercials for, I don't know, local, local schools and stuff like that. But according to Wikipedia and IMDb, this movie had a budget of $700,000. So even smaller than Saw. And uh, he raised all that money by himself, apparently
0: that's impressive and, and i will say like you can tell this is a low budget movie because you don't recognize a single actor in it you know and no. and, and it is it's not a big effects movie or anything but at the same time like it's so professionally well done it really looks yeah. like it had to have cost more just the oh, for the sure. complexity of some of the shots even
1: yeah which i mean we'll get into because i'm 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 blown away by some of the shots in this movie as I mentioned earlier, it was mostly filmed in... Actually, I, I think it was filmed entirely, but I think either IMDb or Wikipedia says it was mostly filmed in 2016 in a little town of Whitney, Texas, though it's supposed to take place in uh, Cayuga, uh, New Mexico, right? I, I think it's New Mexico. I think it's
0: Cayuga is how it's pronounced, oh. but yeah.
1: Cayuga. My, my there, there's apologies.
0: Cuyo- <laughs> Cuy- uh, there's Cayugas all, all over the United States. Like, uh, and, and as I understand it, this was named after... Because this is... I, I don't want to take it away, but this is to to a certain extent like an homage to like the Twilight Zone, you know, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was actually Rod Serling's production company was Cayuga Productions. So I think I, I believe this is a yeah, reference to that. That was one of those trivia things that comes up if you hover your mouse yeah, over yeah. the screen when you're watching the movie on Prime.
1: Prime's all right and stuff, but I, I do like that feature for all these trivia bits and stuff that, uh, that come up when you're watching the movie. Yeah, so to get into it, the first 20 minutes of this, you know, I'm not going to call this a movie because I, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I have I have something that in my head anyways, I differentiate between films and movies. And for me, this is a film. Something like Aquaman is a movie.
0: I understand what you mean. And I'm like conscious of the difference, but like I'll still kind of use them interchangeably. I mean, it, it can be fun yeah. to sarcastically refer to something like Picasso Trigger as a film. So, you know,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah anyways the first 20 minutes of this we as the audience follow everett and Faye, who are the two main characters in this small town of cayuga new mexico
0: well we will we you open first with like a twilight zone type thing on the television exactly like yeah a, it's like the well, first twilight all the, zone the best the best rod serling impression i've ever heard and i've heard a few But I'm a huge fan of The Twilight Zone, so I appreciate that's in here. It's really not needed, but I like it. And I also like the movie kind of starts off showing the movie as if it were in a 1950s black and white television show and then eventually kind of transitions so that this is the film we're watching and we're not watching it through a television screen. And I would compare that to Laurence Olivier's Henry V because his his movie starts out that way. I mean, not the television screen but it starts out with like some shots of like Southwark, London in, you know, 1597 or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. you see Olivier and all the other actors performing the opening scene on a stage and the camera gets closer and closer and eventually we just lose the stage and it's eventually just, it's these people on a film set. Not necessarily saying that they're trying to homage this 1944 film that not many people have seen, but I just, it's, it's, it's interesting filmmaking, that kind of thing.
1: I totally agree. And there's also more of that interesting filmmaking that I like that comes up later on, which I'm which I'm going to touch on. But anyways, we open on this guy, Everett. He's delivering a tape recorder to this high school gym because there's a big match, big basketball game. As he walks into the gym, though, he gets pulled aside to take a look at an electrical problem that's going on. But it turns out <laughs> all these teachers who had pulled him aside have him confused with another young guy who works at, uh, <laughs> at like a sawmill who's an electrician named Emmett. <laughs> and I just thought like that whole scene is really great for this whole kind of small town atmosphere.
0: I also like the in- the way we're introduced to Everett too. He's very like confident and sure of himself. I mean, just the way he yeah. walks and talks to people. Like you can tell he thinks he runs that town. Oh, yeah. And I mean like he kind of does and he's eventually paired with a character who views him in that way but you can also tell it's like this is how he sees himself that's not necessarily how other people most people see him you know that's not yeah, that's not yeah. who he is.
1: Well yeah one well, speaking of this other character who sees him as this guy who kind of runs the town her name's Faye and as Everett is kind of I don't know if he's leaving the gym or if he's just standing there talking to... Oh, he's just standing there talking to this kid with, like, a trombone or something. And this girl, Faye, runs down and asks if Everett can help her figure out how to use her new uh, tape recorder. So Faye and Everett kind of walk around and Everett's kind of giving her the lowdown on how to use it. uh, She's getting ready to make uh,
0: jigsaw recordings.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, he's on his way to the radio station to do his 7 p.m. broadcast, so he's giving Faye a quick rundown of how to record with it and uh, how to interview people, and they're practicing on these various townsfolk of Cayuga who are arriving at the gym to watch the game. Eventually, Everett walks Faye over to the switchboard, which is where she works, I guess, occasionally. But before I continue with the movie, I just want to point out some things that I really, really love about this opening 20 minutes where they're just walking around talking to people. Yeah all the shots in the gym when you get there are like these huge wide establishing shots where there's so much action and so many people in the frame and like so many things are going on but you're kind of focused on these like two or three actors in the frame at a time you know what i mean yeah
0: there's a lot of extras especially for a lower budgeted movie
1: yeah well i was looking it up that gym they only decided to film in this town of whitney texas because that was like the perfect because it had an old school gym 50s gym. Yeah, yeah and okay. then they even it even cost them like 20,000 bucks or something like that to rip up rip up the new uh, markings on the floor and put the kind they would have had in like the mid 50s down.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you got to get rid of the three-point line, for instance.
1: I also like this opening 20-minute bit because uh, they're talking to all these different townspeople, and you get the sense that everybody knows everybody. You know, like, it's kind of yes, like a gossipy yeah. town, and, and you want well, yeah, on I, hearing I, the I li- story. I always
0: like the, the small-town setting in, like, anything. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a sci-fi horror movie. I just I just like that. And, and I like how it's introduced, too. It's, you, you usually find it through these interactions, these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and this is definitely one of those towns where the most exciting thing happens is like is a big basketball game you know so it's it's really neat but my favorite way that the 50s era is depicted in this whole opening bit other than the cars and the clothes and oh yeah I guess just the cars and the clothes is all the slang that everett uses so like, uh, I don't believe point, he drops uh, a
0: daddy but there's a lot of the classic 50s 50s stuff yeah there. yeah
1: well at one point I think like uh, Faye goes you want to hear something interesting he goes yeah come on tell me ras my berries you know <laughs> it's just like, great. <laughs> Or, like, uh, <laughs> they're talking about recording. He goes, yeah, well, he goes, I'm going to teach you how to bake biscuits. Yeah, know? there's something or, about uh, biscuits. I remember the biscuits. And then there's another bit where she, he's trying to teach her how to, like, interview people. So they're interviewing this guy. And he says, Faye, ask him this question that you were asking me. And she goes, sir, have you ever heard the term bacon bacon 940 in a war movie and the guy leans into the mic he goes uh actually i think that's breaker breaker 940 and he's like ah oh, see i told you and she's like oh but i was close and he goes cut the gas cutie you were a mile wide you know <laughs> i just like <laughs> i just love all this kind of slang and 50s lingo it's great yeah so eventually you know we're we're treated to this shot of everett and uh, Fay, or these various shots i guess of, of everett and Faye walking across town and the whole town's deserted because everybody's going to this basketball game right So to get back to where we were a few minutes ago, Faye relieves this other switchboard operator, uh, which there's a great joke in there, I don't know if you caught it, where she was like, "Uh, how does the other team look? And Faye says something like, oh, they look tall, there are lots of Indian boys on their team. And the woman goes, oh no, they're going to beat us like a drum. And I'm not just saying that because they're Indian. (laughs) So while Faye gets there, Everett walks to the radio station, and this is where the movie really starts, 20 minutes in. Faye's at the switchboard, she turns on the radio to listen to Everett, almost as soon as his broadcast begins it's interrupted by this strange, clicking, staticky noise. And eventually it stops, but it comes through on one of her calls on the switchboard. then the phone rings and you know as she's trying to figure out what this noise is the phone rings uh, again because she's going to patch somebody through to somewhere else and it's this woman who's being drowned out by this loud windy static sound and you can hear her dog barking in the background and you can just kind of make out her saying there's something hovering over my property it's round and then there's like it's like a tornado then the line just cuts Oh, I also want to point out, this, this scene is like almost 10 minutes long. It's just like a yeah, continuous it's a shot scene, of, but it's, of this actress.
0: But it's engrossing. I don't know what it is about this movie. Yeah, it, it's, just, it sucks you in. and it's Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that is the performances here, even though the actors aren't doing a whole lot in this scene, in, for instance, in terms of like dialogue. But both actors, Sierra McCormick playing Faye, and somebody Horowitz, I think was his last name, playing the other dude. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's it's something Horowitz. I didn't write it down. though.
0: All right. Uh, anyways, they're both so good. Like Horowitz is great at doing that confident. I run this town kind of thing. I love the scene where he's I think it's the same guy that they're interviewing about the break, bacon bacon thing. But he just likes talks to that kid. And he's the way he talks to him is yeah. like, Oh, you know, I would have thought you'd be have to be six by now or something like he's just like really good at doing that kind of thing. He's also great at doing like the 50 slang, which you kind of mentioned. And then Sierra McCormick is so good at playing this, like, innocent, confused, pretty shy, but, like, friendly woman. And, and, and her, like, accent, she does this, like, perfect, like, 50s accent kind of thing. hmm I don't know if this actress is American. It wouldn't surprise me to learn that she's, like, English doing this kind of transatlantic thing. I don't know.
1: I, I wouldn't be surprised either. And you're right. She plays this kind of naive small-town girl perfectly.
0: And she's from North Carolina, apparently. Oh, wow. Which, as you and I both know, there is an island in North Carolina that's technically British soil, or part of it is, so maybe she is English. Yes, it is. (laughs) 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 I'm holding out hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, after this crazy, staticky call comes through with this woman on the other end, Faye tries to get a hold of the sheriff but apparently they left to go investigate a truck that was flipped on the highway and she's told that by somebody else that she patches through. So eventually Faye calls Everett at the radio station to tell him this program was interrupted by this weird noise and she patches the noise through so he can listen to it and he goes well you know you just leave it on the line and I'll broadcast and see and we'll see if anybody's heard of this. Before we get into this next scene there's this great scene Patrick and I love this scene so much and I don't remember if I saw it on amazon prime somewhere but it's this almost continuous long shot of the camera leaving the switchboard operator room and going all the way across this town to the to the uh radio Mm -hmm. station wherever it is but like i think there's maybe two or three really perfectly cut and like perfectly hidden cuts too there's there's only got to be one or two maybe three cuts you know because the rest Mm -hmm. is just straight uninterrupted and i think i saw a video where the director was on like a little go-kart, like, like a little buggy, and he had this camera contraption mounted on the front of it. So that's why like the camera's so low to the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is an impressive couple of shots, again, however many shots they used to pull this off. It looks neat, it looks great, but it's also kind of like, it doesn't do much for me in terms of like, it's impressive to look at. But that's kind of all it is for me anyways, a visual. It doesn't do a whole lot to enhance the story or to to drag me, you know, to pull me further in. And that kind of reflects how I feel about the movie in general. I do like this movie. I think it's a very good movie. But it's a movie that I appreciate and I'm impressed by more in terms of its technical qualities, the direction, the cinematography, even the performances by the two leads. That stuff all works for me a lot better than the story. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I I do know what you mean. We'll get back into that, I guess, probably when we're done talking about this. But uh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean,
0: like, I guess I guess if you say that's sort of a complaint I have, but it's also it's it's kind of a praise, too, because like, this movie is really yeah. impressive.
1: I've now actually seen this movie as many times as I've seen Killer Workout, which I think is now six. So I've seen I know you haven't you've, six times. you've
0: seen Killer Workout since we've recorded that episode. Oh, yeah, of course. Sit, yeah, I've watched oh it like two
1: more God. times. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know. Every day
0: we stray (laughs) further from God.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah i uh, i totally get what you're saying about just being awed by the technical skills of it your comment on this scene is not unfounded because i agree with you but the only other thing i was thinking of when i was rewatching this was perhaps this scene exists just to show that the town really is like dead empty and everybody is at this basketball game but it really lingers on this basketball mm-hmm. game for some reason yeah and that must just be to show off
0: Right. I don't know. I feel like that entire 10-minute sequence of the two of them walking throughout the town already showed us that the town was abandoned, you know what I mean?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. When we, as the audience, get to the radio station with Everett, Faye patches through a caller who's named Billy. Billy's telling Everett and, as Everett says, the five people listening, this story. He gets into it and he's saying that he was in the military and one night they woke him up in the middle of the night and transported him and a bunch of other guys out into the middle of a desert somewhere. They uncovered a crashed aircraft. And as they were leaving this site, after they'd been there for however long it was, the same sound that he heard on the radio came through the radio of this plane or helicopter or something that was taking all the the troops away from this desert. And then he says a few weeks after that, he got sick. It was something to do with his lungs. And he thinks that that thing out in the desert caused a sickness, it might've been radiation. And then he tells a story of another guy who used to work with him in the military who was on that same project. But this guy was on another project out in Colorado. And this guy was saying he heard the same noise come over the radios out there. Billy then continues to tell this other story about a radar operator who saw that the thing that was broadcasting the noise was thousands of feet higher than mm-hmm. any aircraft in any military could fly. Right. And then as soon as he hits that point, the line just goes dead. So Faye tries to get him back. And I guess eventually, I don't remember exactly, but he eventually he, he does call back. And he tells Everett that if he doesn't believe him, at this point it's off air right and, and he's yes, just recording yeah.
0: them. he says that like i can't put you on air right now because he's all kind of like hoity-toity he's yeah like, he's... you know there's a breach of ethics here if i can't confirm anything that you're saying i can't spread yeah lies. tell me your it's name
1: like, tell me your address give me your number
0: yeah because i can't verify any of this i was like okay yeah but anyways yeah so
1: billy calls back and says look if you don't believe me which i figured you won't you you won't or you might not there's a tape that this guy had sent me and a bunch of other guys and this tape had a recording of a sound that he picked up on a radio one day. So he says that there's a buddy of his who lives out in uh, Cayuga, who's in the Air Force with him, who had one of these tapes. But unfortunately, Billy learns on the on the phone that this guy's passed away. But that's okay, because Faye breaks into the library and, steal these, and, and steals these, uh, these tapes. That oh, and been, I also like, want to say in the, into... this
0: scene, too, this is when Billy <clears throat> mentions that he's black. And I, re- yeah. I really like that moment, how it just he's like aware of what this could potentially mean this technically he's not on the air when he says this but he's thinking like oh you know if i tell them i'm black they're not going to let me on the air and that's probably what he's thinking but then they're just like no that's that's not a problem that's okay but it's like it's a very like um very real 1950s kind of moment
1: yeah so anyway so faye goes to this library she steals the tapes and she brings them over to um the radio station with everett and they start playing through these tapes and eventually, they find this tape that Billy was talking about. And they broadcast it on the radio. Shortly after they broadcast it, all the power at the station just goes out. Everything goes dead. Mm-hmm. Faye's freaking out. Everett's kind of freaking out. But he's trying to stay professional. He grabs his own tape recorder. And he start, he's starting to record what's going on for posterity, I guess. Uh, in, in case they have some big news story you know, that they're going to break. And at this point, Faye goes, Oh my god, I've forgotten about the switchboard. So she has to run across town, which I think... I think Everett picks her up right in this car. Oh no! No, oh, it's not
0: his car. He steals a car.
1: He steals some like some guy's car, (laughs) Mister So and So. And and it's like, does he know you're taking it? He's
0: like, no, of course not. But I'm I'm assuming (laughs) he just knows that person's at the basketball game, so he's just like, I can get away with this.
1: Yeah. So Faye and Everett head to the switchboard, and it's just blowing up. And Faye's answering all these calls, and she's patching them through to presumably the police, because you can kind of pick up snippets of of what she's saying from uh, the conversations. But then as soon as she kind of patches the last one through, she turns, she slowly turns to Everett and she says, people are saying there's something in the sky. These two people, I'm unsure if they're from the town or from outside of the town, but these two people show up and they're like, hey, you know, there's reports of things in the sky. And then as Everett's talking to these people, the phone rings at the switchboard again and Faye answers it. And it's this old woman named, uh, Mabel.
0: Yeah. And she... Yeah, she's this local shut-in. Mabel Blanche. Mabel Blanche. That's it, yeah. One of the two.
1: Yeah, so she's this local shut-in, and she calls to get patched through to Everett, who's luckily there at the switchboard, and she says, you need to come over because I'm going to tell you something that's going to explain all of this. It's going to answer everything that's going on. Oh, actually, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. The whole bit with Billy on the phone is like another 10-minute long scene of just kind of straight dialogue, but it's also really great because... When Billy starts talking, the camera just fades out till the screen is black, Mm -hmm. so it's like you're actually listening to the radio for like a couple Uh, minutes, and then it kicks back in whenever it starts talking.
0: I would also like to point out, you know, I think we've got two consecutive episodes that reference Black Christmas, so why not make it a third? I'm used to my phone calls from a guy named Billy being a lot more obscene.
1: (laughs) Shut up. Uh, But yeah, so poor old Mabel. When they get to her house, they let themselves in. And as soon as they kind of come inside, they hear her speaking this strange language. And then this is the third 10-ish minute scene. I think this one actually lasts for 12 minutes. And she tells them this kind of fantastical story, which again, this is another performance where you just get sucked into it. She tells these two stories. And the first one is that when she was young, she met this woman who was lost in the desert after jumping off this train that when it was found had all the people missing on it. They had assumed it was like some Indian attack, and this woman had been hiding out in the desert. But this family that she was staying with took this woman in, and that night they heard her mumbling in her sleep in this strange language. Who I think Mabel points out, she goes, it wasn't English, it wasn't Spanish, I don't know what it was, or something like that. And uh, the next morning when the family woke up, this woman was gone. Mabel then tells Faye and Everett that she had this bastard son with a lineman. And one night, this baby began to say the words in in its sleep that this crazy woman had muttered, you know, Mm -hmm. like a decade before or something like that. So Mabel wrote all these words down, which is what she was repeating when Faye and Everett came into her house. But she continues. and, And as she's continuing, the camera keeps on slowly kind of panning in. Everything's just getting so intense, and you're just so engrossed in this story. And she goes on to say that one night when her child was four, it got really windy outside, and it sounded like a large windmill. And Mabel recited these words to her son, and he stared up at the ceiling and didn't respond to anything. But eventually he snapped out of it. Then when he was nine, it got really windy again, and he walked out of the front door and just vanished. Mabel followed his footsteps in the dirt, but they just ended abruptly. So she said that she believes that there are beings in the sky. Nobody in the movie calls them aliens. Everybody calls them things or beings. Right. But she believes that there are these beings in the sky who are kind of... Swaying people to do things with these noises, with this communication that they, that they occasionally broadcast or something. And she also says that that these beings like it when people are alone and they stay away from big cities. You know, they're always causing conflict on Earth. Yada yada yada. Faye really shooken by this, and Everett not so much. He doesn't really believe her. Yeah, they a lot. Leave. A lot of
0: this does come across as like crazy old lady talk. I mean, there's enough in this that seems relevant to what we've seen so far, but a lot of it is just like, yeah, eh, I don't know about that.
1: Well, yeah, well, I I like this scene because, again, it's like the small town vibe because when she finishes telling this story about this crazy woman that that was like boarding with her and this family when she was a kid, she said, in the morning she took off and she stole a horse. Can you believe that? So if you ever hear the witch of whatever, that was her. You know, it's like all this like crazy old lady gobbledygook that old ladies sometimes spout. I thought it was a great scene. After this, Faye realizes, oh my god, I've forgotten my baby sister, who's supposed to be with the babysitter. So Faye rushes back home, and uh, the babysitter's missing, which there was a bit earlier where she tried calling home, but she couldn't get through. But uh, not important. So anyways, the babysitter's missing, so she grabs her her younger sister, and she takes her with her and Everett. And then Everett and Faye run into this couple that we'd briefly seen before, who were saying, oh my god, you know, there's like a saucer or something in the sky. And they say, it's just outside of town. So they all hop in this car, and they drive out towards this area where this flying saucer is, apparently. While in the car, Everett is telling this couple what Mabel said, and he plays this recording of her reciting these words in this alien language. And the couple stop, just like Mabel said in her story. This couple just kind of stop, just start staring upwards as they're driving. So, they almost get into this car crash because of it, and they kind of snap out of it, but Faye and her baby sister decide to run into the woods, or rather, Faye decides to run into the woods with her baby sister. Right. So, Everett hops out and chases her. As they're out there, they see this flying saucer-shaped hole in, in the trees. Mm-hmm. and then they see the saucer itself and this giant mothership-esque thing i mean i, I guess we can call it a mothership right like yeah, it's a giant it's, flying saucer it's
0: kind of close encounters looking it's not your typical 50s flying saucer there's yeah. a bit more decoration a bit more flourish to it than that and it's not um, as elaborate as close encounters that looks like a friggin' mm. chandelier but it's like <laughs> <leaning towards> there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's how i'd describe it yeah <laughs> But, uh, they look up, they see this saucer-like ship going into this giant mothership sort of thing, and the music is swelling, and then it starts getting really windy. Faye leans into Everett, and Everett kind of holds Faye and her baby sister, and then they vanish. And the Mm -hmm. only thing that's left behind is this tape recorder in the dust. So back in town, the basketball game is over, everybody's exiting the gymnasium, and you can see that some townspeople are confused, like there's an empty car out in front of the empty switchboard room building. Yeah, there's there's no sign of Everett and Faye, and the movie just ends there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so Patrick, what did you think of The Vast of Night?
0: Well, I'll start first by saying, like, the ending. This is a small, independent movie. You kind of expect movies like this to end in this kind of, like, I don't want to call it a non-ending, but a bit of an anticlimax. Like, so I'm not going to complain about that. Overall, I mean, I do like the movie. I'll just kind of reiterate what I was saying earlier. I'm really impressed by the movie, the look of the movie. It's gorgeously shot. It's really well directed. The acting from the two leads, outstanding. But that's kind of where my enjoyment ends, other than a few sequences that are like really, really good for the most part. Like, I don't find this movie that entertaining, even though it is good.
1: I see what you're saying. I mean, I think that's going to come back when you ask me a certain question that you ask me at the end of every podcast. I agree with you. The ending for me, well, I mean, I have two main gripes about this movie, and one of them is the ending. Okay. I don't know if it was really rushed or something, but it just seems like it was kind of rushed, and I'm left wondering, like, why did Faye run out of the car and into the woods?
0: Well, in a, okay, you know? I have something to add to that, because the thing that I, I don't understand why it's in there, why is the sister there? Yeah. Yeah. They, I don't get, get rid that. rid of the baby sister. We don't need that. And it just makes the ending a little bit more like kind of sad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they took the yeah. sister too. Why do we, why do we even need the sister in here?
1: I just don't get it. And every time I watch it, I just get more annoyed by the, by the, like the last like two minutes of it because I'm just like, why does this need to be in here? There's really no need for it. And then I think even before they get back into, or even before they get into this couple's car from out of town or whatever, Faye realizes that her th- that the babysitter is actually home, and she was just on the roof trying to see through the clouds at this flying saucer or this ship. So it's like you could have just brought your baby sister back home,
0: or just not you have know? the baby sister that didn't really exactly need to be yeah part yeah. of the
1: film. Yeah, just don't write it in. But yeah, so that's that's really one of my main gripes. My other one is the cutting to that kind of bluey tube television screen. I like it at the beginning for the introduction of like that kind of Twilight Zone theme. Yeah. And I like it when Everett's talking to Billy, and it kind of that the camera cuts to that bluey screen, but there's like a radio on the screen, like an old timey 30s, 40s sure, radio. Yeah. And I like that. But then I think there's two times in the in, in the movie that it cuts to that, and they're both or they're both in shots that have to do with Fay. And the first one is when she gets when she shows up at the uh, switchboard and for some reason it's just that bluey filter over it and and i don't know why she's just having a conversation with the switchboard operator who's already there right and i'm like i don't know why that needs to be like that and then the other time it happens is when she starts running somewhere i think like to the library to get the tapes i think oh probably i'm like why does yeah and i'm like why does that need to happen and then she goes into her house and she gets like a up like a pan to hold the tapes or something and then when she exits it goes back to blue. You know, and I was just like, I don't know why that needs to be like that. But everything else I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, I loved the Twilight Zone intro. I loved all the opening establishing shots of the gym and the town. I loved the score. Uh, yeah uh, oh yeah the
0: music is the music is strange to me because there's a few moments and i looked this up on imdb because like one of these musical cues it's like this sounded really familiar and there's this Mm -hmm. there's this part i i can't remember if it's the radio or the switchboard but it's like someone has a microphone to their face you know and there's like that scene was like ending and it kind of wrapped up with this like spanish kind of sounding guitar and yeah, like, yeah, I've heard yeah. that before, haven't I? And I like looked it up because it it didn't sound 50s to me. It sounded like 67. It sounded like kind of psychedelic to me. And yeah. I didn't I didn't find the answers. I maybe I hadn't heard that before and it just reminded me of something else. I'll say the the score was interesting i thought early on i didn't much care for it later on i thought the score was really good towards the end of the movie so i don't know if it was just a matter of i had to get used to the score a bit or it might have just been i liked the music that they were doing at the end and it felt like it worked and enhanced the movie better than it did at the beginning i don't know
1: yeah i mean well even at the beginning there's a score where it's like people clapping their hands and then like a like a 50s guitar riff or something i really like that for all the all the interviewing scenes at the beginning and there's also I guess it's not really a score but the sound like that alien sound like that clicking I really like that and that reminds me cuz you and I spoke about this before but that reminds me of the <laughs> of the alien clicking noises and signs
0: Oh I don't remember noises and signs I I, I don't yeah, remember yeah, yeah. much they, they about clicked. that movie
1: they <laughs> came, I don't remember if it was they came over the radio or the television but they clicked But then so I mean for me the highlight M Night huh Yeah absolutely but you know I mean he's 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 fucking washed up no offense M Night no, uh, take a fair. This director please. might have some life in him. Yeah. I confess
0: me. I have not seen any of the films from the so-called Renaissance. you know, the Split and those I haven't seen those. Oh movies. yeah, I haven't either. I have faith that Split is at least better than his other shit, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we need that phrase though. Like McConaissance is like Everybody you know, knows anna-sance. that word, right? We need a Renaissance, yeah. but maybe he needs to make a couple more really good movies before <laughs> that's truly yeah, yeah, yeah. in the cultural zeitgeist.
1: And a couple good movies in a row. Like, come on. Going back to The vast of Night, though, I don't know about you, but for me, the three standout scenes are the switchboard scene, the scene with Billy on the phone at the radio station, and the scene with Mabel in her house. Those are my three favorite, most engrossing scenes.
0: For I me, think. it's mainly just the Billy scene. I mean, not that I don't like the others, but the, the Billy scene to me is on a pedestal far above the other two.
1: Now, and I also, I think I looked this up, and I think the actor who gave the voice of Billy and the actress who played Mabel, I think they're both stage actors from, like, the Austin area of Texas. Okay. Which is pretty interesting, too, and I think that kind of maybe shines through with the actress who plays Mabel. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think this is one of my favorite movies I've seen in a while, but more favorite for what you brought up because it's technically interesting and stunning in scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I think I think there's movies I enjoy watching more, but this one I just like putting on the TV and looking at it.
0: Right, yeah. This, this is one of those examples of, like, I mean, this director, clearly very talented. I would be curious to see him do a movie... I mean, I'm sure the next movie... Well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, because I don't know how many people have actually seen this movie. Not not as many as should, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. I would imagine his next movie has a bigger budget. But I would like to see him just working with a more interesting story. I think his story is... Probably because the movie is so low budget, the story is kept very, very subtle here. And I think that's what yeah. kind of makes the ending... What you were talking about. It's kind of just like, what? How did we, what, how did we get here? This is a little weird. If he can... He can still keep his subtleties as a director and just have a story that's more expanded upon if that makes any sense. i think I think there's a good chance that I like this guy's second movie more than I like this one, even though I do like this one.
1: I agree with you. i I would like to see what he could do with a with a larger budget. And I'm sure if he did have a larger budget. Well, and again, actually, I'm not even sure to say I'm sure because I think one of the things that makes this movie work is that it is his vision and it is the way he wanted it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like there were three writers, but I think he was the main writer. I think he probably had two other writers just to kind of tidy up whatever. He didn't feel like tidying up almost.
0: Well, we, we, we can't really speculate on that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I think being a director writer... Again, I've seen this footage of him riding around on this little go kart with this <laughs> camera setup thing in front of him, and you know, I don't know. I, I, I again, I think that's one of the things that makes this movie work for me. It's just that it is this one singular thing, and it's how he told it. There's no like big explosions, you know, and like sure the 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 spaceships at the end of the movie look a little cheesy. And silly
0: they were they didn't but... look as bad as I would you know you tell me that this movie was made for seven hundred thousand dollars and you look at it and you see that okay maybe most of the budget probably went to setting up some of these complicated shots and or these costumes and cars and stuff I would have expected the UFOs to look a lot worse than they actually do not that they look great
1: yeah good movie I enjoy it
0: oh yeah so check it out on prime video if you so desire and that leads us to my question to you Jim which of these two movies do you prefer?
1: Well, I mean, now, is this is this which one do I like more, or which one was more entertaining?
0: The, what the... Just answer the question. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. How am I supposed to respond to
1: that? Uh, I like The Vast of Night more as a movie, dare I say it a film, but Saw, for me, was more entertaining.
0: So are you going to answer the question, or just make me interpret the, the answer to the question? Uh...
1: uh let's go with the vast of night i like the vast of night more
0: see i'll 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 be a little bit more direct even though i think i'm essentially (laughs) saying the same thing that you're saying because i think the vast of night is a better movie saw to me is it is a lot more entertaining it's also we didn't talk about this at all it's also a better drive-in movie the vast of night is slow in 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 a good way It's, it's slow in a good way but not in a drive-in kind of way and so you're right the story's moving as fast as the editing you know it's it's a (laughs) it's a wild ride really from start to finish i i do think the vast of night is a better movie but like i i'm gonna pick saw as a better drive-in movie slash more entertaining watch it's it's an easier casual watch which i think you'll definitely agree Although, maybe I, I say that, and maybe not, because you have to freaking follow everything. You have to f- follow the flashbacks, and maybe it's not a good casual watch, come to think of it. but
1: Well, you know, I think I think the thing, because I was thinking about this earlier, as, as I have to, I guess, and I agree with you, I think Saw is a better drive-in movie, though The Vast of Night is a better movie. But the thing that makes Saw also a better drive-in movie is that at this point in 2021 on, you know i'll date this for you on january 3rd 2021 saw has been so entrenched in in pop culture for the last like 15 years that it has kind of gained a mass following not even just like this cult following but it's also spawned so many sequels uh, um, imitators video games yeah et exactly and i mean and this is a movie that if you've seen any movie after this the first saw movie you're like oh i see jigsaw laying right there in that hospital but you know like you don't actually really have to pay attention to it you know, because you're not watching it for the storyline, right. right? You're watching it for kills and and people doing silly things that don't necessarily make sense, and people hating <laughs> each other in a in a dirty, disgusting bathroom room. You know,
0: <laughs> people almost having affairs with their v- incredibly attractive graduate students. That woman was gorgeous. She, <laughs> yeah. she has like two lines in the movie, and I'm like, who the hell is this? This how's this person? Bring her super back. Famous. I looked her up, and it's like <laughs> she's done some things, but
1: I I will I will say yes. Saw's so better better in i will say though i mean i don't know how you how you would have it but i would have the vast of night first as as a as the first feature yeah the
0: reasoning saw. for having saw first it's really because generally we're looking for the second movie can be the weirder one the more violent one the faster paced one the funnier one the more sex filled one which there's no real sex and saw saw is like this disgusting movie that you don't want to touch which not that there's like (laughs) sex appeal in the Vast of night either but it's uh i was like the reasoning in having saw first even though it, it clearly fits more the second feature criteria is that saw is super popular as you were saying it made over 100 million it's not obscure by any means the Vast of night is kind of obscure and it's like the second feature is usually our less mainstream one as well so i kind of had to pick between second feature genre wise style wise but first feature in terms of popularity versus first feature in terms of style and second feature in terms of popularity and and, in in yeah i just not many people have seen the vast of night i'm sure more should it's a good movie you're right it should Mm -hmm. come first here i will agree but that leads us into our next question then jim how does this work as a double feature? Do you recommend it?
1: Ah, <sighs> that's a good question. I'm only going to say no because The Vast of Night is so slow, and because I would put The Vast of Night in that in that separate category as like a film, whereas Saw is. Though I really enjoy it, and I, there are lots of scenes in Saw I do You're like. Being it this kind pretentious
0: of asshole and, with this.
1: Well, I'm, I don't mean to be, but you know what I mean. You like, yeah, mean you know, to it's. Be. No, I don't think it works. I think Vast of Night is too slow. They're just too too different they have such different vibes going on
0: i think they do work as long as the vast of night is first because the vast of night is slow and it gives you that ending that you're just like even though it's a good movie you you don't end on a high note you end on kind of a huh and saw yeah boy oh boy do you ever end on a high note with saw (laughs) like that that ending is incredible (laughs) that ending makes up for so many of the problems that saw has but saw is also like, oh but you, yeah, you for mentioned sure. like the Vastonite is slow. It is, but saw is like saw is both slow and fast paced in a weird way because it's because it slows the story down with all of the flashbacks, but somehow still feels <laughs> like things are moving really fast <laughs> yeah. too. And so I think I think it gives yeah. you what yeah. you don't have in the first film in a lot of ways. the violence, blood, the pig masks, all that stuff shit stained bathroom i mean that's we're missing that in the vast of night yeah so i'm, I'm gonna say it's it, it works pretty well it's not the best one we've had i don't think but it works
1: yeah now i mean like if i was going to go to the drive-in to see this double feature i would only be going to see saw because i think as you brought up earlier the vast of night isn't really a drive-in movie i'd rather sit at my home chair and pay attention to the vast, the of, night. vast
0: of night is approaching art house levels mm-hmm. i don't think it's fully there but we're approaching a ghost story. You know what I mean? We're approaching that Ew. kind of killing of a sacred deer. Or I don't know why I mentioned that movie. But anyways, because <laughs> like, that movie's kind of like, I don't know. Let's talk about what we're doing next time, Jim.
1: Yes, please tell me. Surprise yes, me. Yes,
0: because you do not know this. All right, so you'll be excited. We are doing From Russia With Love <gasps> as our first feature from Woo-hoo! Russia With Love, st- starring Sean Connery and... Yes, she Robert will. Shaw. Quint himself from 1963. Oh, that's that's right. our first film. And our second film, this will mean nothing to you, but I am excited about this. Our second film is Dr. Alien from 1989, <laughs> directed by David Dakota. What? <laughs> a Canadian film icon, David Dakota. This is going to be an interesting pairing. I cannot imagine too many more random movies being paired but i could also say that of dr alien in most movies because dr alien is it's a it's a one-of-a-kind movie you have to see it to believe it, it
1: sounds like its name sounds like a joke
0: <laughs> <laughs> the movie's a joke you'll see but the movie's great but anyways uh, but anyways, uh dr alien for all of you wondering is available on tubi and this is one of those movies i never would have heard of were it not for tubi this is one of those beautiful (laughs) tubi finds where it's just like okay i know one actor in that i'll watch it and then like my mind was blown (laughs) dr alien is it's it's a it's a treasure anyway so from russia with love dr alien (laughs) i I laugh when i say that title it's just so great (laughs) (laughs) dr alien so yeah that's what we're doing next time and uh Keep be sure to follow us on Twitter because I'll probably numerous times be tweeting out the famous music video from Doctor Alien. It's not technically a music video; it's a song performance from the movie, which is one of the best scenes in motion picture history. But um, I'm looking. Oh, hold on then. a second. Hold on a second.
1: See. I'm looking it up on Tubi right now. It looks like the dumbest. It looks like the Oh, the poster's terrible.
0: Ever. The post, the poster <laughs> doesn't do the movie justice. You have to give it a chance.
1: Okay, sure.
0: <laughs> the movie wins you over. It tugs at your heartstrings.
1: Okay, I'll trust you.
0: It tugs at something. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> anyways, so from Russia with love and Doctor Alien. Next time on Revenge of the Driven in Thank you for joining us. I've been your host, Patrick.
1: And I'm still Jim.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us, fellas. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye, guys.